I want to thank Crispy and Oliver for talking to me today because it's easy to fling failure at people trying to solve difficult technical, financial, and social problems. But the PCC is at the center of debate and discussion about how we resolve our crises. What was a failure of electricity generation becomes a failure of all sorts of other things, uh, vital parts of our lives, clean water, with no electricity, how do you pump fuel into your car, perform a life-saving surgery? The situation is dire. With indefinite future, ESCOM says it can't supply power for 10 hours of every day. And it could and probably will get worse. Crispin Alva, thank you so much for joining me. Am I being too negative? Hello, Peter, and thank you for having me back on your show. And it's a, a great privilege to be able to share some ideas with your audience again. Look, I I don't want to, you know, paper over what is patently a, a very real and tangible crisis, which is affecting people in a whole range of, of ways. We've, you know, manifestly failed to make sure that we have the generation capacity to match demand. And it's affecting people. It's affecting people's livelihoods. It's affecting kids that want to study at night. Um, and very importantly for the economy, it's, it's affecting business and, and our manufacturing industry and our mining industry. So we sort of shooting ourselves in the foot on the economic front and we're causing real social distress and hardship. So that, you know, yeah, you, you, you can't sugarcoat uh, those bald facts. What I, you know, I think we've got to keep our eye on is the long-term trajectory. Uh, and uh, clearly what Cyril Ramaphosa and the team that uh, he's got around him have been trying to do is introduce some deep-seated systemic reforms into the energy system. And two of the most important are setting up an independent transmission company uh, which will allow a wide range of different kinds of generation capacity to come onto the grid. And then secondly, lifting the cap on the amount of self-generation that businesses and municipalities can do. And, you know, we initially had the cap lifted up to 100 megawatts and then the cap was abandoned altogether. So businesses today can go out and build their own energy systems of any size and provide their own power. And they don't even have to build it in the same place that the businesses are located. They can build it in parts of the country where it's better located and they can wheel it through the ESCOM grid, obviously with ESCOM's permission. And that's a little bit of a process. Those kinds of systemic reforms, I'm afraid, are going to take a while to start coming through the system. I mean, we, we should never have gotten to this situation in the first place. We failed to get the generation capacity procured and on the grid uh, at the right time when we, when we did have the opportunity. But the kinds of reforms that we need to make the energy system work for everyone are in the mail. From a climate perspective, I mean, yeah, we've, we've also got a number of really positive steps that we're working on. Uh, firstly, the country has signed on to an emissions trajectory that will take us to net zero uh, as an economy by about mid-century. That's important, and it's important not just because 
we've got an obligation to try and stop the climate disaster. It's also important for the competitiveness of the products that we produce. So we've got a very coal-dependent, emissions-intensive economy. Um, quite rapidly over the next decade or so, you're going to see restrictions on trade that start to filter into the global trading system. The Europeans have already now agreed on a carbon border adjustment mechanism that they're going to be implementing. Uh, we've got to keep pace with that. What we don't want to find is that we shut out of the global trading system because we fail to transition uh, speedily enough. And the other thing that unites us is that we've all collectively agreed that the transition has to be done in a way that impacts people and workers and jobs as least as possible. And we, we call that, we use the shorthand, just transition. So we, we've all signed on to a just transition. Business, labor, uh, civil society, yeah. government, and other stakeholders. So, Crispin, so, you know, that would, be, that would have been fine were you making a presentation to somebody in um, early November last year. But things seem to be completely different now. Things have changed to a remarkable degree. Uh, we now know for a fact that there isn't enough capacity in the grid to take new generation. The CEO of ESCOM, who played a large role in securing finance from other countries to help us uh, make the transition that we're trying to do, it seems absolutely clear that the Minister of Energy, who is an, a material obstacle to the introduction of new, new renewable generation, has increased his political clout by helping President Ramaphosa win re-election to lead the ANC, and would be very difficult to move out of his current position as the leader of the Department of Minerals and Energy. But you, your commission prepared a huge document for COP27 in Egypt last year, very detailed, and you use it basically to secure the $8.5 billion of financing originally agreed between a number of countries, the US, UK, European Union. And I wonder whether, in all honesty, you know, if COP was tomorrow and not three months ago or two months ago, whether you could, in, with a straight face, make the same presentation now to COP that you made in November, or with at least, if not a straight face, with the same confidence? I think, uh, as you say, President Ramaphosa got re-elected at the ANC's national conference, this time with a much stronger mandate. I mean, if you think back to 2017, things were really on the knife edge, and you had an NEC with as many RET-aligned forces as there were pro-Cyril pro Ramaphosa forces. Um, now he's got an yeah. uh, NEC and potentially a national working committee uh, that is very strongly behind him and behind his reform agenda. And you also had a number of very important announcements coming out of the ANC conference, um, including on the need for the climate transition and, and a just transition. It, it's the first time that climate's ever got a mention in the readout from the conference. Um, secondly, backing the systemic reforms that the president has been launching across a range of infrastructure sectors 
including energy. We still need to see how the political alignment shakes out. I mean, I know that uh, Minister Mantash played an absolutely crucial role in holding the national conference together. But really, you know, that he's part of a much larger team and probably the most important person in terms of the ANC as a political organization is the Secretary General, um, who is cracking the whip, calling people to order, closing the door on untoward policy pronouncements by all and sundry, which, you know, has been the modus operandi to date. And, you know, we've we we we've had policy and coherence with us for a long time. I mean, it's been the tradition for the last five years to just, you know, for any any person with a view on a matter to speak, you know, speak their mind um, and give the impression of a government that's really at, uh, you know, no, not of the same mind on a whole range of issues. So I'm looking forward to far, a far more coherent, uh, reform-minded agenda coming out of the Thule House and coming out of national government. I mean, do you just assume when you say that, that the much talked about, but really, really silly notion that you can just simply transfer ESCOM into the ownership of the Department of Minerals and Energy, that that just simply won't happen? Well, the, you know, there are some issues that have to be dealt with around a decision such as that. First of all, the capacity to manage a state-owned enterprise of the scale and importance of ESCOM, you know, let alone the other SOEs. Uh, you can't just magically create that uh, in DMRE, even on their own word, has been really struggling to fulfill their mandate. I mean, you know, according to the IRP of 2019, um, they were going to build a new coal-fired power plant put nuclear in the system, roll out some new gas-fired peak heat capacity, as well as get quite ambitious targets on, on renewable energy. I mean, they've not delivered on a single one of these. Even the battery tender that we were looking to last year didn't, didn't, have, yeah. didn't come out. So, so to move a really complicated SOE into what is clearly a department that's struggling to perform the ABC of its functions, um, you know, I, I, I think that it needs to be a second take. Um, um, this is not just doing something for the sake of doing. Um, the other yeah. issue that's been raised very firmly is the inherent conflict that exists between the regulatory functions, you know, the, the function of yeah. uh, basically promoting mining and, and, and the mining industry and the function of regulating the energy sector and driving its transformation. Um, there's a whole reason, there's a whole logic behind putting these SOEs in an independent department. And we seem to have forgotten mm. the reason that existed in putting these institutions under DPE in the first place. And um, Government's been running a really thorough process of looking at the governance of SOE. And, you know, the, the idea was floated, this, this was fairly carefully thought out, of setting up a holding company um, that would bring the requisite skills, 
and financial and equity management capacity um, into the SOE terrain. Um, I don't know what's happened to those proposals, but you know, to simply overnight transfer ESCOM under DMRE, um, I think would be a catastrophic move. Um, yeah. And I, I, I honestly don't see it happening. I, no. Yeah. So despite the new Secretary General, Fikil Mbalula's, what's the best word? I mean, his drive to get things done, not everything that got decided at conference makes uh, much sense. And he probably won't, hopefully, drive too hard at this particular proposal. Well, look, it's not for me to second-guess the policy of the majority party. But I, I do think, you know, parties can come up with ideas and, 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 and policy pronouncements, but they do need to be filtered through the decision-making process of government and the due process and careful consideration that's got to be given to all of these things yeah. before they're acted on. So, um, I, yeah, it, I, I would not start panicking at this point yeah. in time. Just looking at your um, one of the sort of pages in your very big document that you sent to COP, you were talking about um, electric, electricity sector investments required in infrastructure, i.e. the grid. Um, and I yeah. total up roughly $400 billion directly for ESCOM under coal plant decommissioning and transmission. And um, that money is just not going to, yeah. you know, nobody's going to lend money to a department of the South African government um, if if ESCOM does in fact uh, end up there. So there'll be no uh, investment in infrastructure if this sort of thing happens. Um, but that's not a question. That's just me making a statement. But 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 can I can I comment on that, Nida? Um, I mean, look, the the obvious priority. As you say, you know the the, the w we do have a constrained grid, and there are parts of the country where you cannot get new additional renewable energy onto the grid because the grid is basically maxed, particularly for those variable source generation technologies. Um, but there is capacity on the grid in in, in other parts of the country, so. And I, I, I understand from the ESCOM people, first of all, in the northern and um, uh, western parts of the country, you can put batteries on. You can't put more wind and solar because they're variable source. But yeah. you can put technologies such as batteries that are going to shift the load um, um, and absorb the power during uh, peak yeah. generation periods and then discharge it uh, when it's needed later. Um, you could also put gas-fired peaking plants onto those parts of the grid that, that cannot absorb further renewal. There are also parts of the country like Mpomalanga uh, where there is capacity for additional renewable energy. And I know that the wind and solar resource in Mpomalanga is not the best in the country, it's still pretty good, you know. It's still better than many parts of Europe sure. where you know they're sure. already putting deploying yeah. these technologies. So, so we can put stuff onto the grid, and the immediate priority is to put a lot more renewables. We reckon you need about six to seven gigawatts per annum yeah. onto the grid, 
we've got to deploy battery technology. Um, um, it's not quite at the utility scale that we would be comfortable with, but there's smaller scale battery solutions that you can still work on. And in the immediate term, we've got to put some peaking capacity in. And I, I know you're you know, very outspoken on the issue of gas and said that we shouldn't be doing gas at all. Um, I, I, I think we've got to put two to three gigawatts of gas onto the system as, as peaking block, not as base load. Well, you know, so there's an obvious opportunity. I mean, if you drive past, as I've done now twice, three times in the last three months, much to the cost of my, my little car, um, you drive past Mossel Bay, and there's a, there's an obvious solution. There's a there's a there's a refinery. There's a there's a there's a liquids to there's a gas to liquids refinery, and a and a and an yep. ESCOM peaking plant right next door that runs on diesel. Both of them are shut. They're yep. not working. Um, I've driven past twice in the last two months, and both times there's been just no activity there whatsoever. If it's true. That you know, Total has found gas off Mossel Bay, and that we can seriously land it, give, put it in that plant, turn it into diesel, and burn it next door. Brilliant! But nobody does it, you know. And and everything. The problem is, I, I, and I worry about it from whether we're talking about um, the transmission company or or transition to gas. I understand the argument for gas as a peaking. As a as a peaking um, solution, it's better than diesel, and we do every every system needs a peak a peaking capacity of some kind, and we do have the material yep. to do that. What we can't do is build a huge gas infrastructure all over the country. If we're going to build a gas peaking plant in the north in the Northern Cape, who's going to give us the money to do that? You know that'll be really interesting. Um, uh, but even even with you know even just it's it's the decisions. It's the it's the absence, Crispian, of um, it's the absence. It's the absence, really, of I think belief in in renewables that scares me. You talk about batteries. There's not one battery operating in the country yet. In New Zealand, they've just announced um, to that Total will be building a hundred megawatt battery. Um, in some part of the country, I can't remember. That's just huge. That could power Cape Town. You know, I don't know how much they get off. Yeah. I don't know how much they get out of uh, um, the, the 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 dams that they have that they use for peaking power, and that saves them a, an hour of load shedding. But but we, you know, we have the solutions, and the money's available. There's plenty of money for renewable solutions. Nobody says, okay, I'll have that. Thank you. Be it Cape Town, be it. Bebecha, Durban, wherever, nobody, you know, I know people in Johannesburg who've desperately trying to see the DA mayor, for God's sakes, on to 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 pitch a battery propositions and they, you know, she doesn't reply. That's what they tell me anyway. You the, you know, can you help me meet the mayor? It's quite ridiculous. If 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 it's possible for cities to now purchase and and their own power without ESCOM, why aren't they doing it? Don't they understand what they what the opportunity is? Well, uh, I think you're being a little bit unfair. Uh, the cities are moving at pace, and Cape Town and Joburg. I mean, I know there's been a little bit of political instability in Joburg, and we sort of into a rotating mayorship. 
uh, with every time a new coalition comes in. But both of them have got really quite sophisticated plans for uh, you know extending. Um, uh, Joburg's talking about uh, a decentralised battery capacity program, backed up with some gas-fired peaking uh, capacity. Um, Cape Town's talking about a similar set of reforms, including you know a, a distributed rooftop uh, solar PV rollout and net metering, so that would allow households to sell power back onto the grid. Um, and I, you know, I think you, you're actually going to see quite de- um, substantially faster pace happen at local government level than you're seeing at national level. I share your frustration with, you know, what's is seemingly a lack of urgency um, and and a bit an inability to get stuff done. Um, so there's an enormous amount of talk. I mean, lots of bluster from the minister of DMRE, but even on his own statements, he's He's not rolling up his sleeves and getting the procurement done uh, for the technologies that we need. Um, you, you spoke earlier about this uh, just energy transition investment plan. I mean, uh, one of the things that, that uh, we have been working on quite intensively is a program to upgrade the grid, um, accelerate the deployment of renewables, pull the coal plants that are beyond the end of their economic life off the grid um, and invest in the transition to green hydrogen and and to electric vehicles. All of that's been bundled together in this $8.5 billion deal, this climate finance deal for which the finance is already secured. And the plan talks about uh, uh, an, an investment of 10 times that, that we're busy engaging with National Treasury and the private sector. Um, um, and our, you know, we're moving already. I mean, that was tated to COP27. We launched it there. Uh, and this year, we're discussing implementation around those issues. So there's, there's a huge investment that's going to take place in terms of upgrading the ESCOM grid. Um, and, I, you know, I think... On that front, government's doing the right things. Yeah. When you say that the money is secured, I wanted just to ask you a few questions about um, Andre de Reuter. How significant yep. is his resignation? You know, there's there's a team in place at ESCOM, including uh, a board chair that has been there before, so he's no stranger to the machine. Um you know, I think it's it's destabilizing. Uh, you know, we'd we'd all, uh, you know, uh, listened carefully to what the writer was saying, and I, you know, I think we'd come to the understanding that we're we're broadly on the same page about the transition that has to be navigated. But he clearly didn't have his hands on the machinery of ESCOM, um, uh, and for one reason and another, I mean. They, they may well have been forces way beyond his control, including this absolute large-scale looting and criminalization of the um, coal value chain that's been taking place. Um, uh, so, you know, between, between um, state capture and its impacts and the erosion of hardcore engineering capacity at ESCOM, 
uh, Andre was unable to get on top of, of the problem. Um, and I, you know, I, to me, it's like, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't know, we should be spending our time crying about it. I think we do need to get the right person in. I think that person's got to have an intimate technical grasp of the problem and be a really strong manager. Yeah. Were you, uh, did you attend, can I ask, um, um, did you attend any meetings late last year with the deputy, uh, the German deputy chancellor, Robert Habeck, when he visited South Africa? I did. It was a very interesting inter interaction. Yeah. So he's a very powerful guy. And, and, you know, as head of the Green Party, I mean, I don't think South Africans appreciate how powerful the Greens are yep. in Germany. Um, you don't you don't get to, you don't get to run the country without their support. Um, and um, can I just ask who convened the meetings that you went to? Uh, well, his, the German embassy had convened the discussion. So we, we had a meeting with okay. the and we brought a whole range of our different commissioners from civil society and, and the private yeah. sector together. Um, so we, yeah. we structured it a little bit as a multi-stakeholder engagement uh, with the Germans yeah. on the energy transition in this country. Um, they've yeah. been incredibly supportive. I mean, you know, uh, amongst other things, GIZ has been funding this kind of work for a while. Um, uh, as yeah. part of the 8.5 uh, package, uh, KFW's put a, a very substantial loan into the mix. In fact, of all of the international yeah. partner groups, uh, the, the grant component, uh, the, the Germans were way ahead of any of the others in terms of the ratio between grants and loans that were being provided. My understanding of the visit is that there was a little bit of tension because Guerra Mantashe failed to invite the writer to any of the meetings that he convened. Um, and that Harbeck insisted on meeting De Reiter personally um, and had to do it uh, off his own bat. But I want you, you see, you sound very secure about the German funding, uh, you know, both the concessional loans and as part of the $8.5 billion. But I just wonder whether De Reiter's departure and, he, and the way he was treated, and certainly, certainly by the Minister of uh, Minerals and Energy, um, whether that doesn't threaten in any way that money, because Habeck wouldn't have liked what he'd heard, and he could stop it. Well, I I think it's a mistake to personalise this. Um, the, the the issue that you know Harbeck and the, and the German government uh, should be interested in is policy continuity. So. If the rate of departure means that there's a substantial shift in policy, yes, then certainly it is an yeah. issue of substance. But uh, there's, uh, as far as I'm aware, uh, no indication of such a policy shift. Not yet. I mean, if you listen to, and I just worry, and I'm sorry to do this to you ahead of, ahead of anything happening, there's no cabinet reshuffle yet, and there has to be one, and perhaps uh, the president will find something else for Mantasha to do. Um, but in the absence of, of it, um, you know, the coal lobby wins a significant victory by getting rid of Andre de Reiter, and they will try, I'm sure, in every way possible to press home their advantage. But I, I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, the, the coal fleet 
uh, is built with a particular economic life. Um, it is completely unfeasible for ESCOM to be managing those coal-fired power plants be beyond a particular point. Um, because the the maintenance costs way exceed what they can earn in revenue from them. Um, so there's you know there's there's some basic financial issues at play around around coal and the existing fleet. Um, in addition, I mean there's also we, we've got to bear in mind the impact of these minimum emission standards. So it, ESCOM's faced yeah. with a very real problem to meet. The legislated emission standards, it's got to retrofit flue gas desulfurization and, and other technologies that, that lower the emissions from those plants. That's about yeah. between 35 and 50 billion rand per coal plant. And it's going to create yeah. a bifurcation. So there are plants that are due for decommissioning in the next 10 to 15 years. There's no ways you can afford to retrofit those plants. So you're going to want to pull those plants off no. earlier. Uh, you simply can't afford to do it any other way. Um, and, you know, ESCOM's between the rock and the hard place here because there, there was the, the, the clean air case that, you know, the, the Center for Environmental Rights and a whole lot of community group, groups in Mpomalanga brought that they want and have compelled government to comply with these minimum em emission standards. So I, yeah. I do think the issue um, is not as clear-cut as, as, as you portray. It's not as if they can turn around tomorrow yeah. and they run these plants for the next 20 or 30 yeah. years. Can I ask just in closing, Crispin, um, just about the future of ESCOM, I mean, are we not just witnessing the slow collapse of this single national electricity uh, monopoly. You know, it'll take place over a long time. It'll be complicated and messy. Um, but when I grew up in Amtata, in uh, Transkei, um, as a kid in the 50s, we had our own power station. It wasn't ESCOM. Yeah. Um, and lots of little towns had their own. Arducho had its own. Butterworth had its own. Um, and, and Banduli had its own electricity. Didn't come from ESCOM. Aren't we going to see a disintegration of this monopoly somehow so that those those communities and towns and cities that can afford their own are going to are going to build their own and say goodbye yeah, yeah. look we, we we are heading to a much more decentralized energy system so there's going to be far greater emphasis placed on households and businesses and municipalities doing their own generation and having their own plants and storage capability. But they still, we still we need two, at least, national utilities. The one is the independent grid operator. Um, that has to take place. And the second on the generation side. Um, yeah, I, I think we've seen a, a very much a one-way trajectory with respect to ESCOM, and uh, I know it's extremely alarming uh, for people that are experiencing these blackouts. Um, but I think positive change uh, is coming down the system. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop you there, Crispin, but, and I hope so. Um, because, uh, you know, with, I mean, what you don't want is a completely hopeless situation and a hopeless populace 
Look, thank you very much for joining me. And I, I'm sorry to start the year off on a slightly depressing note. It's good to hear that you are still thinking positively and, uh, and, and lots of good luck for the coming weeks, let alone months and years. I hope we can talk again. Thank you all for listening. I'll be back at the same time next week. Stay well. Mm-hmm.